The Geopolitics and Empire podcast is joined by best-selling author, world-renowned speculator, and libertarian philosopher Doug Casey. He has informed my views on international diversification and becoming an international man for, for many years now. How are things down in South America? Well, I'm in Uruguay, which is a little bit different than a lot of the other countries in South America. And as you know, they're all quite different from each other. But uh, it's quiet and peaceful here in Uruguay, which is the way I like it. And uh, peace and quiet are going to be at a premium in the world in the years to come, I'm afraid, probably for the rest of this decade. Uruguay is if I if I wasn't in Mexico, uh, I'd probably go somewhere like Uruguay. I've got a friend there, and so as you said, it's a tiny little, little country, a, a buffer zone, and good place to be. Um, so some of the things on my mind, which are running themes of this podcast, and I'm sure on listeners' minds, are uh, you know global geopolitics, of course, which lately is manifest as the clash of empires taking place in Ukraine, uh, as well as the teetering global economy the U.S. falling apart, uh, and this crazy great reset with its nutty plan for a global digital control system, and of course, figuring out how to try and navigate all of this uh, craziness. But I thought maybe we could start you know, with what's most on Doug Casey's mind these days. Hmm. <laughs> well, they really are pulling off a great reset. Uh, I'm not a believer in conspiracy theories per se. But on the other hand, uh, over the years, I've become a solipsist. Uh, a solipsist is someone who believes that reality is essentially a creation of your own imagination. There are many varieties of solipsism. Uh, that's the most extreme one. But um, it seems that the world, because of the communications facilities that we have today, it's that... Uh, Everybody tends to believe the same thing at the same time, or not everybody, but most people do. Uh, it's, um, I guess it has to do with our being pack animals or herd animals. Uh, it has to do with the fact that when a fashion comes, everybody wears the same kind of suit or the same kind of dress. They don't want to stand out and be different. It's... Um, it's very much that way with people, and it's and it's a shame. So they all repeat the same meme because everybody else is repeating it and believing it, and the herd must know what they're doing. So uh, I don't know if I'm being very clear at all, but uh, I don't believe most of the things that you hear on the mainstream media or most of what other people tell me. And uh, I've come to the conclusion that we live on a planet of crazy chimpanzees and that most of my fellow inhabitants on this planet are, um, are dangerous at this point and idiotic. And uh, I've become much more cynical as time has gone on about the fate, fate of humanity in the future. I kind of feel the same. And I, I mean, regarding the Great Reset, the thing that really gets me is it's it's how it's so totalitarian. Like they literally are, are, are wanting to force us to carry our smartphones with us everywhere to enter into 
shops uh, to prove your medical status and 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 this sort of thing and it's really taking away every liberty like you can't you won't they're trying to make it so you can't travel you can't work you can't even leave your home in some instances and as you say it's the the population that's enabling this and that's the thing that really gets me i can't believe people are falling for this yeah well people are afraid and when they're afraid they want somebody to kiss everything and make it better. So I think it's a good bet that in the years to come, uh, some magic person is going to show up and say, listen, we've got a mess on our hands. Give me adequate power and I will make everything right. And uh, it'll be somebody like Hitler or Stalin or Mao or, or Perón or, Pick a person, any person. Uh, it, it, it's the same drill. It's very, very scary because as a libertarian, I've come to the conclusion that uh, people with a libertarian or, or uh, orientation, people that basically like to live and let live, if you will, we're like a rounding error uh, on the size of the pack. And that's pretty dangerous because... Um, People, when people form into big groups, you're either for them or against them. They don't want to hear some philosophical argument about why you're on the outside. So um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a dangerous time for people to believe in uh, individual liberty and uh, financial freedom, personal freedom. Yeah, it's, yeah we're, we're in for a, a, a tough time. Life will go on, of course. But uh, uh, I, I'm not even sure how, you know, it wasn't so long ago, but I was actually quite optimistic. Uh, I mean, things like Ray Kurzweil's idea of um, the singularity, where all of the advances in technology that are being made on many fronts, uh, computers and biotech, genetic engineering, robotics, 3D printing, space exploration, uh, artificial intelligence, nanotechnology, uh, that all these things were kind of reaching uh, a common point, uh, life extension, very big one, that uh, in 20 years, magic would happen. And I said, yep, that's the trend that's been in motion for the last 5,000 years. Things have gotten better and better and better at an accelerating rate. But um, I really wonder whether something really bad could happen before the uh, singularity comes along, which I think it will, assuming the world doesn't blow itself up. I, I had the same view, funnily enough, when I was still teaching here in Mexico. This was like a 2016, I, I remember 2017 maybe, where I had a very positive view of the World Economic Forum and, and the Fourth Industrial Revolution. I was talking about it in my classes i was applying technology and gamification but as we saw over the last two years the mask just came off and it kind of like what you're saying i feel like they're pushing us towards this insane uh dystopia um and as you mentioned some hitler or stalin might come to power i, I think the scenario is like there who knows maybe maybe the antichrist <laughs> as well but <laughs> since since we were discussing the great reset i want to go back to 
some of your life's work, uh, which is, you know, you've got the website, internationalman.com. Uh, and I've, I've followed your lead years ago in legally accumulating multiple passports and planting international flags. Uh, but I don't think anyone could have predicted how quickly the world turned into a prison planet. Um, even some international accounts I've had, I, I've had to close because they've become insanely onerous with their know your, cust uh, know your customer or KYC rules where um, they would literally freeze uh, um, my account each year for months until I physically mailed them all sorts of private info. You know, they did it the first year and I thought, okay. And then they did it the second year and it was just like, that got crazy. And now passports have virtually become useless as you cannot travel at the moment uh, and simultaneously maintain your bodily uh, autonomy. So I'm hunkering down. I think we can still we still need to apply a lot of the principles of international diversification because, you know, we may have windows of opportunity within which to act, but it's becoming more difficult. What are your thoughts on being an international man in this brave new world? Well, on the one hand, it's more important than ever. But on the other hand, it's much harder than ever. Look, it wasn't so long ago when um, I was able to travel on a privately issued passport, a World Service Authority passport issued by a guy that became a friend of mine, Gary Davis. He was a bomber pilot uh, during World War II and uh, got so fed up with it that he renounced his citizenship in France in 1946 and burned his passport, uh, I don't know where, in Paris, but it was a big deal because he was a well-known guy. He was the son of a uh, a very popular, famous band leader in the U.S., Meyer Davis. Anyway, uh, then he realized he couldn't leave France without his document, and he printed up a very nice-looking, serviceable passport on his own, and he called it the World Service Authority, and it really looked good. I, I have one. He gave me one personally, uh, and I was able to travel in the 70s and even the early 80s Went to a number of countries. I went to uh, Peru, uh, Honduras, Costa Rica, uh, trying to think of the other place, Iceland, uh, French Polynesia. I mean, a number. This is just a homemade passport. Nice looking, but it was possible to do that in those days. Okay, it's impossible today because everything's done by computer. And all of these countries are all hooked up together. So you can forget about that. I mean, they still issue World Service Authority passports. Worthwhile having, but uh, not really the way it used to be. So, yeah, the world is increasingly becoming locked down. Now with this COVID hysteria, uh, I'm sure that because it's so easy to phony up the fact that you may, may that you haven't been vaccinated, you just get papers. I mean... This is easy to do. So the next step is going to be to require that everybody have not just a uh, something in their cell phone. And I hate cell phones, incidentally. Well, they're double-edged. I love them and hate them. I mean, obviously. But um, the next step is going to be everybody has to have a chip in their skin with all of their ID and documents and vaccinations. And this is clearly the next step if you want to travel anywhere or do anything. So at what point does, uh, does this trend become unacceptable to people? At what point will people actually riot and revolt 
and overthrow the system? Or, or will it even be possible? Or, or maybe the fact that in the U.S. alone, I understand that about a sixth of the total population, from children to the elderly, are on some type of psychiatric drug like Zoloft or, uh, or, or uh, Prozac. Or, there's a hundred of these things. At which point they're like walking zombies. I mean, this is this is actually the people that are doing this are treating 1984 as if it was an instruction manual, not a a novel to warn you against these things. That and of course uh, uh, Huxley's uh, Brave New World. They're combining the worst elements of both of those dystopian novels. So. A message from our sponsors. The Nomos app will help you survive COVID-1984 and the Great Reset. Nomos is a time bank that can be used by communities anywhere in the world. You just need to talk people into using it. For example, if you go to your barber for a 30-minute haircut, your barber receives 30 minutes in his time bank. He can then use that time to pay for an appointment with the doctor. I've spoken to the developer who is passionate about creating solutions for surviving and thriving in the apocalypse. Nomos is available in both English and Spanish. Hurry and visit nomos.net before they roll out the cashless society and put you in the algorithm ghetto. Also, if you need health insurance that covers you wherever you may roam, check out my friend James Guzman's Borderless Health Insurance. One of the great things about living internationally is saving money on health care, but private care overseas can be expensive. Go to borderlesshealthinsurance.com to watch a short presentation on expat and digital nomad healthcare and sign up for a free consultation to review your options. Geopolitics and Empire needs funding. You can leave a donation, book a consultation, or become a member, which gets you access to my brief weekly commentary, a monthly newsletter of my thoughts, a private telegram, a monthly members group call, and my second premium broadcast called Dissident Thinker, where I conduct interviews and provide solo analysis. Dissident Thinker is also available on Rockfin and for supporters on Locals. Yeah, and as you say, I wonder if people will revolt. And, you know, one thing Huxley said was that this would be the final revolution. So, like what you said, would it even be possible once this is installed to, to remove it? Um, so I guess one response to all of this, one trend that I'm seeing from a lot of people everywhere, you know, people coming to Mexico, I know Matt seems to be doing it in Uruguay, is hunkering down, becoming the, the local man um, these days. I've gotten people in Canada and U.S. contacting me, asking about my opinion uh, of moving to Russia or, or Mexico. And often today I'm, I'm thinking it's, it's better maybe to examine whether you should just stay, stay put uh these days because going to a completely foreign it, it takes a lot of, a lot to go to a new country you have to be you have to integrate you have to be humble uh you have to integrate with the local population to be able to learn languages and stuff and so i mean w what are your thoughts about this idea of becoming the local man <laughs> yeah well i've traveled to about 155 countries and um i've lived in 10 I guess I've lived at 10, defined as spent enough time there where it made sense to uh, take a long-term lease or to buy real estate and, and live there. So it's, uh, look, frankly, wherever I go, I'm kind of 
in a bubble. And uh, so what's the answer? To, I, know, I know what you're asking. What's the solution to the world that we live in today? I mean, uh, it wasn't so long ago that uh, when somebody who was in his 20s or 30s would ask me, well, what should I do? Where should I go? I would tell him, well, go to Africa because I don't like to be on a, a level playing field. I like to be on a playing field where it's tilted in my direction. And uh, in Africa, you can, I've found that in any country, <laughs> just about where you go to, if, if you have the right credentials, just a normal average Western citizen like myself, you can be sitting down with the president within a couple of weeks or a month, as unbelievable as that sounds. So that's where opportunity is or was, but I'm wondering if that's not even so much possible uh, anymore. Uh, where do you go indeed and how do you handle it? I mean, uh, international air travel has collapsed. Uh, it used to be, for instance, uh, I used to live in Argentina and it was easy to get a flight from Cape Town to Buenos Aires, six hours, uh, no problem. Well, those haven't existed now for years. If you want to go from South Africa to, to Argentina, you've got to fly up to Dubai uh, or up to Madrid to get down. It's insane uh, the way air travel has collapsed and uh, the number of documents that you have to have to get on a plane or get through a or get off a plane in some country. It's, uh, no, the world is changing. We really are going through a great reset. And it's really hard to tell how it's going to reset, frankly. I don't know. Do you have an opinion? I think it's going to be bad, <laughs> like a global oh, global dy global dystopia. Like I, I just see it in every country now. Here in Mexico, there's one tiny state of Me Mexico called Tlaxcala, where they've made the vaccine certificate across the board uh, obligatory for supermarkets and even reportedly parks like public parks and so i just see th this not stopping like I don't, I don't see it stopping and i think matt has a similar perspective where you know maybe they're removing some restrictions for now in many places like us but that passport's still there and they're still pushing it so it's like i don't i have a more cynical pessimistic view um and i also wanted to comment i've been applying that strategy as well the one where you discussed the, the, having it tilted in your favor like i discovered when i went off to mongolia with the peace corps in 2006 like in the us you're a small fish but if you go to a foreign country as a foreigner you're kind of like a like a big fish in in, in a small pond and you're treated like that like when i went to mongolia or when i was i was i was in kazakhstan from 2017 to 2020 uh, you know, and it's interesting. I I, I got on the podcast uh, physically. I, I brought the guy to to the town where I was living in in Kazakhstan. Same. His name is Sayasad Nurbek. Very. Um, you know, he worked in different places in the Kazakh government. A very smart guy. And you know, I, I got him on my podcast. I interviewed him. Now he has replaced Dariga Nazarbayeva, the the daughter of of Nazarbayev uh, in the in the Senate. So it's just kind of like go, go, goes to what you're goes to what you're saying, like. In foreign countries, you can often do do what you you know get close to some of these people. But um, speak, yeah. well, you might be able to go back to Kazakhstan and pick up political plum at this point. But unfortunately, the world is reorienting in such a way that your political connections mean much more 
than they ever have in the past because, uh, well, before World War I, national governments everywhere were basically just a, a, a nuisance and they only took control of perhaps 10% of the economy. There was no income tax, there was no VAT, no sales tax, it was mostly import duties that these governments financed themselves with. Now, uh, governments control 40, 50% of world, everybody's economy directly and indirectly, since they all have central banks now, which they didn't all used to have. They control the whole thing. And, and the worst part of it is that the worst kind of people are the ones that go into politics and do the best. I mean, you've, uh, I always like to emphasize that there are two types of people, people that like to move atoms and control physical reality and create things. That's one type of person. Then you have people that only like to control other people, manipulate other people. They go into politics and they'll do anything to get power and stay in politics. So it, it's amazing to me that these crazy chimpanzees back up in, in back of one politician or another. Uh, are, and, and these are the worst and most horrible kind of people that get into politics. I mean, they're actually a, uh, they're actually a uh, self-perpetuating criminal class. And, and, and the naive uh, chimpanzees think it's great, thinks they're necessary. I don't know how to get rid of them. I mean, I, when, I wrote, when I wrote my last novel with John Hunt, uh, Assassin, we explored some ways that you can get rid of them. And of course, the next novel we're going to put out is called Terrorist. Uh, I have a lot of views on terrorism as a method of warfare. But, uh, you know, there's a cancer that lives in the psyche of the average human being that actually wants somebody in power. So I'm not sure we can get rid of them. And with technology as it is, and they always get the technology first. I mean, technology is great. Gunpowder was a liberator. But at first, the bad guys had it first. Uh, same with the computer. I mean, in many ways, it's a liberator, but double-edged sword. I don't know. Sorry to ramble on about this because my thoughts on this, I'm, I'm uncertain uh, exactly how things are going to evolve, except to say that trends in motion tend to stay in motion and accelerate until there's a climax, a real crisis, and then anything could happen. That's so, exactly. Yeah, that's how I view it. And as well, I, I would confirm from personal experience what you were saying about nasty people wanting to be in power. I, I studied at the Geneva School of Diplomacy in Switzerland. I finished 2009 and everything was so corrupt, you know, all these international institutions, uh, governments, and I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I didn't want to go and work. I, you know, I control people and you got to be so corrupt. And I'm like, I'm going to go do something innocent, like become a teacher uh, in Mexico where I don't have to corrupt my own values. So it's just as you say, and, and the people that I met are around in Geneva, like at these functions and events, these were the most narcissistic um, you know, power hungry people that, that you could meet. I'd meet some of them and they would ask, Oh, who are you? And when, once, when they see that you're not like somebody special, they're like, Oh, bye. Uh, and so, um, speak another question I had was the whole, the whole of the Western world. We see, especially that the Western world seems to be collapsing, uh, more, uh, you, you know, 
we're talking about the, the economy, culture is degenerating, and especially, well, military might, but also especially civil liberties. Like we see what's happening in Canada and Europe uh, and in the US, you're talking about terrorism. Now they're pushing this domestic terrorism. So if if you criticize the government now, you're, you're like a terrorist. So what are your thoughts on like the fall of the, the Western world and these trends? Trends in motion do tend to stay in motion and accelerate. So <clears throat> I don't know where this is uh, going to end, but uh, the powers that be have found how easy it was to shove the COVID hysteria, which was actually, it actually evolved into a psychosis more than a simple hysteria. They found how well that worked and how easy it was, and then how easy it was to make a switch where now COVID is kind of, for the time being, there'll be a COVID 2.0, of course. Uh, but uh, now the attention is on um, is on the Ukraine, where Russia and especially Vlad Putin are being made into the devil incarnate. And frankly, as I look at the Ukraine thing, uh, trying as best I can to take a view from 50,000 feet as if I was a, a Martian looking at this degraded planet, I'd have to say, yeah, uh, it's not good that Russia uh, stepped across the border to Ukraine. But other than that, <clears throat> the Russians are on the right side of all this. Uh, quite, but that's something that you almost can't say in public uh, anymore. And uh, But the, the Russians really are uh, uh, basically uh, on the right side of this ever since, ever since the Americans uh, uh, did a coup d'etat in uh, the Ukraine in 2014. And since then, when those two provinces that are largely Russian, Russian people, the Don, uh, in the Lugansk and um, uh, Donetsk. Yeah. yeah. I mean, now they're actually, I don't think most Americans are even aware of this, that uh, they're actually different countries that just aren't recognized by anybody. They're countries like Transnistria, and South Ossetia, and Nagorno-Karabakh, and uh, you know, there's a bunch of places that are actually independent countries that aren't recognized by other countries. So you got those two. My guess, my guess uh, is the way this is going to sort out is that since the Russians are basically tiptoeing uh, into Ukraine and just want to uh, just want to make it a neutral country for all kinds of good reasons, I suspect that there's going to be another new country formed called East Ukraine or something like that. So there, there'll be three independent, unrecognized countries and, and the Kiev regime will be replaced by hopefully somebody neutral. And it'll kind of, it won't go to back to the status quo ante, but hopefully this will all calm down after that happens. And I'm, I'm and I believe that the Russians will withdraw. There's, I, I'm just speaking as so if I was Vlad Putin and wanted to accomplish this, I'd want to get my army out of there as soon as possible. Serves no useful purpose. They don't want to conquer the damn country. It's a liability, for God's sake. Yeah, I was checking back some of my old po podcasts. I spoke to uh, friend, Dr. Francis Boyle about a year ago. He laid all of this out, saying that the West has been pushing aggressively and that uh, Putin and she 
are saying no, they're putting the foot down. And then I found like four years ago, I interviewed Vietnam vet uh, Senator Richard Black from Virginia, who was saying that there are crazy neocons in deep state who want nuclear war with Russia and that we have been aggressively pushing NATO uh, on their doorstep. So he's told me that four years ago. So it's, it's exactly as you say that we've been pushing aggressively and they just want to neuter um, Ukraine. I, I saw in, in your last um, Doug Casey's take, I think with Matt, uh, your most recent, that you said you were thinking of going to Donbass uh, in the summer. Is that right? Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm a member of a, an exotic travel group uh, that uh, in order to be a member of it, you have to be invited. You have to have visited over 100 countries and so forth. And it's a bunch of people just like to go to crazy places like Somalia, so forth. Yeah. So the current plans are to go there in, uh, in June. And uh, I hope it's possible. I think it will be possible. But uh, yeah, I'd like to actually uh, put boots on the ground, as they say, and ask taxi drivers and men in the street, what's actually going on? And look at things and, and see things for myself because I don't believe anything that I see on, like for instance, I don't know if this meme is still circulating. It was even a few days ago when uh, YouTube pushed a, um, a, uh, a video to me uh, about, um, what is he called? The ghost of Kiev, who is a Ukrainian fighter pilot who supposedly took down seven Russian planes in one day. You know about that one? No, I didn't catch that. Well, it's out there. And so this YouTube that um, was pushed to me about this mythical Ukrainian fighter pilot that took down uh, seven Russian fighter planes in one day, I said, wait a minute. This, this has got to be a total and complete fabricated lie. Because uh, it said in the YouTube that he was flying a Russian plane, a MiG-29. Okay. Uh, but that MiG-29 hasn't been updated because of the situation in the Donbass, where Russia is not supplying them any parts or anything like that. So it's got radars that are eight years old that, you know, all the Russian planes would have much better radars. Its, it's, it's missiles and armaments are degraded. Uh, I'm sure that the pilot hasn't been getting an awful lot of flight time. Uh, the whole thing is a lie, but there were a half a million people that apparently watched the thing, and there were like 10 or 15,000 upvotes with being, oh, the brave Ukrainians and Zelensky's a hero. You know, it's, people believe whatever they're told to believe. They, the two minutes of hate that, uh, 19, that George Orwell talked about in 1984, it's all lies. It's, so much of this stuff is just made up, and nobody can disprove it. So the answer is, yeah. I want to go there and see for myself. I haven't been to the Ukraine for for uh, five, six years. Yeah, I don't like any, I don't like traveling anymore anyway. To tell you the truth, yeah, for, yeah, and I, me too. Even though, like, I, I I'm a bit younger. I'm kind of tired of traveling. Um, and I what you about taxi drivers? They're one of my favorite sources of, of information. When I was uh, when I in my travels as well, living in Kazakhstan and when I was traveling in Russia and elsewhere, um, 
what else was I going to say about the propaganda? Well, right, this this what's going on. I, I interviewed the Russian military expert Andrei Martyanov not long ago, and yeah, I mean it's, it's impossible what you were saying. You know, maybe one, but seven. Uh, come on, and about this propaganda, um, I don't know how it. I don't know how it is uh, where you are in South America, but all of the Americans and, and Europeans, Croatians that I know have fallen in line immediately with the official war propaganda from Washington and Brussels. Like nobody even questions anything. You know, the Pentagon sends out its communique to mainstream media and social media, and literally everyone in lockstep, you know, puts up their Ukrainian flags. And it's astonishing because no one thinks about Iraq or, you know, after Afghanistan and Syria and Yemen, all, all of these lies of all, all of these uh, wars that were started on an unjust basis. And you would think, you know, we, we've, we would have learned this through alternative media and the internet, but no, everyone just in an instant uh, toes the line. And, you know, what are your thoughts on the level of propaganda that we're seeing? Well, it's unbelievable. One thing that's gone down the memory hole is what happened in Kosovo, uh, which used to be a province of Serbia. Uh, but most of the population are Albanian, so they by ethnically, so they split off. Okay, it's actually analogous in many ways to uh, uh, the two provinces in the Donbass splitting off from Ukraine, which isn't a real country. It only came into existence. It's, it's an ethnic area. I mean, the very word Ukraine means borderland. Uh, so it only came into existence during the Soviet Civil War back in the early 20s. Uh, anyway, uh, it's not good. I mean, the United States won't, won't countenance two provinces splitting off from there, but for a province to split off from Serbia, well, no, that must happen. And, and the U.S. comes in and bombs, uh, you know, kills tens of thousands of people with the air war uh, and gives the uh, Kosovars weapons and all right. So they can split off from Serbia, but these two provinces can't split off from Ukraine. I, you, know, you know, the U.S. government has become the greatest danger in the world today. It really is. It's, uh, it's uh, with military bases in over 100 countries around the world and the CIA and God knows what other agencies sticking their nose into everything. Uh, it's and, and it's a collapsing empire. Besides, I mean, the U.S. government is actually bankrupt, uh, and the currency is on the ragged edge of being destroyed. And this is a big deal. Uh, the way I see it, uh, you know, th this thing in the Ukraine it should be just a sideshow, you know, a, a, a territorial dispute, which governments have had throughout history all the time, constantly. But what's really a big deal is that we're in a financial bubble in the West generally, but in the U.S. in particular, in the stock market, the bond market, the real estate market. So if these things collapse, a lot of people that thought they had a lot of money are going to turn out to, gee, I don't have all that money after all. And then we have an economic disaster where there will be lots of people, all the distortions and misallocations of capital will come unglued. You have massive unemployment and corporate failures. Uh, and God knows what the government will do with that, which leads to the political thing. They'll probably put on wage and price controls, capital controls, all, all the usual stupid things. And then, of course, from a sociological point of view, the U.S. has turned from, you know, uh, 
a country where everybody shared values and more or less shared religion and shared, I mean, it was a country. It was, but now it's become a multi, a multi-ethnic uh, domestic empire, uh, which people don't have anything in common anymore. So I think the U.S. is going to fall apart into different countries, frankly. That's, and Canada is likely to do that too. And frankly, Brazil is likely to do that as well. Bolivia should go into at least two, maybe three countries. Uh, every country in Africa should probably split up according to the ethnic. Every country in Central Asia, same thing should happen. I mean, listen, we could be looking at real chaos here over the next decade or two. I, I've had this same view. I mean, this was one of the reasons I intentionally left the U.S. in 2006, like to become a permanent, permanently ex expatriated for many reasons. But this was one. And I, I've met, uh, I've hung out here in Mexico with cultural historian Morris Berman, who wrote a trilogy on the collapse of the um, American empire. And yeah, I kind of see that coming. I, you know, I, I also wanted to comment, you know, all this, they want us to hate Russia, but I'm first a U.S. citizen. And it's like, I don't care about the best of Russia's. I mean, not so much that they're doing to, to the, themselves. Like, what about me? Like, my American government is prohibiting me from traveling to my own country without, you know, medical status. Um, I, I had um, my Patreon, you know, one of my means of, of my fi financial means was was terminated after an article by the Associated Press co-written by NATO, you know, mentioned me in the bad light. <laughs> lights. So it's like my own freaking governments are destroying my life. That's my first priority, not like, you know, some foreign government. But, you know, there, I agree with everything you're saying that economically things are breaking down culturally. Um, there's people talking about civil war. I mean, do you, you think we will, it'll come to something like that? Well, <clears throat> it very well could. You know, it's interesting looking back at history. Uh, the American Revolution uh, was actually a civil war more than anything else, and a war of secession, uh, also a revolutionary war. And the unpleasantness of 1861 to 1865, that was not a civil war. That was a war of secession, which is a very different thing. I mean, yes, I disapprove of slavery, blah, blah. We all know that drill. I mean, who, who does approve of slavery, frankly? But... Uh, the South simply wanted to divorce from the Northern states. And the war itself was not about slavery, contrary to popular opinion. The war was actually about taxes, and we could talk about that. Um, so that was the war of secession. What do I think is gonna happen in the US in the years to come? What would a civil war in the US look like? Hmm. I mean, the average American knows just about zero about guns, uh, knows nothing about military tactics and strategy, other than what he's picked up in movies, uh, a fat office worker, uh, especially in the blue cities. So what would it look like? Um, hmm. I don't know. You could have, you could have areas breaking off from states and would it be an actual civil war where people I think there will be riots in the streets? Because, you know, the, the red people and the blue people really do hate each other at this point in the U.S. I think that that's the way I read it. 
I mean, you can't have a conversation with anybody about anything controversial uh, without tempers rising. And uh, yeah, these things usually end in violence. Prognosis is not good. I don't see how you get around it, but I don't know how you get rid. How do you get rid of the powers that be? Uh, and, and unfortunately, they control these praetorian agencies like the FBI and the CIA and the NSA and the DEA. And there's about 15 of them that are armed and are all independent satrapies. So that, you know, control themselves and have their own way of financing themselves at this point. So um, how do you get rid of the people on top at this point? Um, I kind of had the same view as you as a history major, former history teacher, professor. When things gain momentum, when, when totalitarianism, you know, when the train starts rolling, like we saw in the 1930s, it, it, it takes us to that final destination where there's you know, a lot of insanity happens. And I think we're on that train and it's going to have to crash before we can rebuild. And so we're in, we're in for a number of years of totalitarianism uh, breakdown. Um, I don't have much faith in politicians or political system. I don't have faith in, in Donald Trump, but he's just said he's going to be running for 2024. What, what do you think? It's going to be like a circus size show. What do you think like 2024 is going to look like? <laughs> well, I don't know what happened in this last election, but uh, uh, my own track record on this, and I don't, I don't claim to have my finger on the pulse of the hoi polloi in the U.S. But I placed a money bet in 2016 that Trump was going to win. And I was right, I think, for the right reasons. And I wrote an article uh, in the summer before the elections saying, giving six reasons why I thought that Biden was going to win, which seemed against the odds also. Incidentally, I, I think that Trump actually won. I do think the Democrats stole the election. They're much better at that type of thing than the Republicans are for a number of reasons. I think, that, however, that unless there's really outrageous theft, that uh, the uh, Republicans are going to win the midterms in 22. And I don't know what's going to happen in 24. Maybe there won't even be an election for all I know. I mean, you know, there could be some type of an emergency domestic or foreign, or God knows what, so serious that uh, they, they put it in abeyance for a period. I mean, we're living in strange days here. Well, the start of strange days. They're just starting to get strange as far as I'm concerned. And it's scary. It's scary because, you know, when you think about what happened as recently as World War II, where you know, the Germans were the most civilized and cultured country on the continent. And in a matter of a couple of years, they were all goose-stepping and, and saying, Sieg Heil, it changed overnight. And it, it could happen in the U.S. too, in a different way, of course. The, the, and, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it, it's people forget that after World War II, there were millions, millions of displaced Europeans whose homes and everything was destroyed and all they could carry was in a wheelbarrow and they had to walk hundreds of miles to get across a border. And this, is, this isn't living memory of not so many people now, but still, 
Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I mean, that was one of the reasons I could just see the trend continuing where America would become like a fascist and authoritarian. And I, I didn't want to be there when that happens. But, you know, then we have the Great Reset where it kind of goes global. But um, just to comment on what you said, you know, right before the uh, past presidential elections in the fall, I interviewed Dr. Paul Craig Roberts. People can go see that interview. And he correctly predicted that they would carry out a a color, revo color revolution coup against Trump, which I think is what happened. And something else alarming, um, I interviewed someone who I respect a lot, Paul Rosenberg, who I know you know. I've interviewed yeah, him. I love Paul. Yeah, I've, I interviewed him, and I, I know he used to have something that alarmed me. Just like a few weeks ago, uh, I was interested in his VPN service, Crypto VPN, Crypto Hippie, and I go to the website, and he just he just put a note saying like they're not doing it anymore. There was not enough interest in privacy. And then he's saying that there's really no other good options. And then he mentions Tor and he says how, you know, that was created by the US government and how most of the nodes in Tor are run by the US government. So just for someone like Paul to say that, you know, he's shutting that door and, and saying there are no good options. Like, yeah, it's just the things are just not looking good. Um, I don't know if you, you know, Matt gave us some good advice uh, economically or otherwise, what you know, tips or principles would you give us to help us survive and thrive in, in the apocalypse, I guess? <laughs> well, you know, charity begins at home. And what that means in this context is the best thing that you can do is to become as wealthy as you can. That will give you a lot more options. It will allow you to insulate yourself. So Try to increase your net wealth, and that's a whole different subject as to, to how you do that. But today, uh, you know, you actually don't, like that, like that horrible person Schwab said, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Well, this Russian oligarch, who's probably a thug and a thief, he, he had a 600 million euro yacht confiscated in, in, in Germany because he's an associate of you know, the devil himself, Vlad Putin. Well, he probably is a thug, and, and he probably stole most of that money. That's what politics is all about, of course. But, um, you know, just from, just from out of the blue to steal somebody's ship, I mean, the rule of law, you know, it's, it was just a veneer, and the people in power will find a reason to take away anything from anybody. Like in Cyprus, uh, I went there, let's see, when did that, about six or six, seven years ago, something like that. Uh, they closed down all the banks and gave everybody a haircut. So if you had more in a bank than 250,000 euros, or was it 100,000 euros? I forget. I think it was Doesn't 100. Matter. Yeah, 100,000. It was 100,000 euros. They confiscated your money. In other words, they didn't bail in the banks the way the U.S. government has done. They bailed them out with your money. And it, they got away with it. It wasn't a riot. There wasn't an assassination of the president. They didn't. They didn't hang the cabinet by their heels in a the way they did Mussolini after the war. They should have. Um, so you don't re actually you don't really own anything anymore. Your bank account uh, can be locked down. And like like in that movie with I think it was Will Smith, uh, Enemy of the State, where they. Using computers, his and, credit and cards. In Canada, right now. We just saw that Nothing in Canada, about. right? Yeah, exactly. You become a non-person. What are you going to do about it, okay? Well, what do you do about it? 
uh, I think while it's still possible, I think you ought to buy a, a bunch of silver coins, one ounce silver coins. Silver is trading at around 2350 right now. I think it's going a lot higher from this point. Uh, and I'm not always bullish on silver, believe me. We can talk about silver as a totally separate subject or gold as a totally separate subject. Uh, so buy a lot of silver coins that are in your own personal possession. Uh, buy gold coins, uh, preferably things like uh, sovereigns uh, or at least quarter ounce gold coins so that they're not as detectable uh, when you, if you cross a border with them, they look like small change, which is going out of existence anyway, but still. And to speculate, what do I think are the best speculations today? Well, you know, I trade commodities and that's a, that's a hard game. But uh, for a long time, I've been bullish on uh, energy and I still am. And energy stocks, incidentally, just a, just a tip. People don't remember these things. Back in 1980, uh, the S&P 500 was about 30% of, the, of its capitalization was energy stocks, Exxon, Shell, uh, drilling companies, things of that nature. Now it's about 3.5%. They've collapsed. And the big oil companies in the West have said that they're getting out of oil. In fact, I listened to an interview uh, the other day with uh, a total moron. Uh, his name is, oddly enough, Looney, who's the uh, current chairman of BP. And he didn't talk about oil or anything like it. He was talking about how, how great um, BP is for ESG, which has totally taken all these corporations, all believe in that, and also diversity and inclusion. This is poison. This stuff is poison. So, especially with the stock market, it's grossly overpriced because of all the money printing. Anyway, what I'm doing is speculating in mining stocks, which are very, very cheap relative to everything else, including current earnings with $1,900 gold. I think there's going to be a, a mania into them. So, get the metals in your own personal possession, learn to speculate. Good speculations right now are small oil stocks and gold mining stocks. Those are two, I think, very good tips. All right. Yeah. I, I Not long ago, I spoke to Michael Reckenwald, uh, the libertarian on ESG. He gave us a crash, crash course on ESG. Um, any final thought for us, Ben? Hmm. Well, these are going to be interesting times. And actually, I, I researched that a little bit, uh, and everybody says it's an old Chinese curse. And it turns out that it's not an old Chinese curse. That uh, may you live in interesting times meme, it actually only came into existence like 30 or 40 years ago. And somebody said, apparently tongue-in-cheek, that it was uh, an old Chinese curse. Of course, most of the things that we think we know, we don't really know, like this other meme that floats around out there about uh, Baron, uh, the original Baron Rothschild saying, buy when blood is running in the streets. Actually, that was probably made up too. But, you know, these memes circulate, but there's truth to both of them. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know final, final advice or, or words. Um, I don't know. I like to say, although it's not for polite company, just keep your pecker hard and your powder dry. 
And that's the best advice that you can generally have. But there's got to be a, a, a more sanitary way of saying it than I just did. But I, I kind of like that. All right. Yeah. And speaking of those um, sayings, uh, yeah, I don't like to share those sayings unless I have documentation, uh, you know, uh, regarding them. I'll include all of the links in the description. There's internationalman.com, I think, case you research uh, links to your books, I think, on Amazon. W what are the best websites um, or projects or books to know about? Well, I think people that read the novels that uh, my friend John Hunt and I have written over the last few years, speculator, uh, drug lord, and assassin. They're going to be well rewarded. They're actually excellent novels with lots of interesting information in them. And uh, hold on for the next one, which is terrorist, which is upcoming, followed by warlord. And then things get really wild and crazy after that. So the novels are good. Uh, and I have a go to internationalman.com and I do a podcast uh, usually a couple times a week with uh, Matt Smith. I think he's been on your show, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Called Doug Casey's take. And uh, you can communicate with us through with me either through internationalman.com or, or the uh, telegram group at, at Doug Casey's take. And um, I don't know. Is there anything else that, uh, I ought to say. No, I think that's it. I'll include all the links uh, in the description, including for the, the Casey's take on YouTube, which I enjoy watching, as well as the Telegram, which I'm in uh, and I share on my uh, Geopolitics and Empire Telegram as well. And yeah, I think that'll do it. Um, stay safe and sane down there in South America. And thanks for being on Geopolitics and Empire. Well, I'm glad we met. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes, Facebook restricts our page, Reddit and Twitter take down posts, and after the Associated Press mentioned geopolitics and empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our Pro account. The best free way to help geopolitics and empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.